Psalm 45 is the text. It's a messianic psalm. This text is about the Lord, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the church. And the last verse, the last verse, we'll get to the preaching of the gospel. If the Lord is willing, and I do ask for your prayers, He begins, My heart, and I believe this is written by David, My heart is indicting a good matter. David, being a prophet of God, being a man after God's own heart, a man that God revealed Himself through and to, and I would say preaching or speaking of the Lord, and also in penning the things that the Holy Spirit gave him. No man can know God except through Christ and by Christ. And no man can understand anything without the Holy Spirit giving understanding. David, therefore, is a child of God. And if you want to think about all the things he faced in the world, all the things he went through and all the trials and tribulations, many sorrows brought upon himself, many sorrows brought upon him because he was the king of Israel, and many sorrows brought upon him because he was a son of God. But in his heart, that's where the joy is. That's where the peace is. He says, my heart is indicting a good matter. David is dwelling upon the Lord. David prays to the Lord. We see that in Scripture. There's proof. David spoke to the Lord. David prayed to God. David sought after God. David sought to please God. We know the natural man cannot do this. If he did these things, it's evidence that the Spirit of God was within him, that he would. He's included in Christ. He's the man upon whom his throne, Christ would sit. Many things to say about him, but everything he had, the blessings of God, including the thoughts of his heart, is evidence that he's a child of God, that Christ died for his people. And although David lived before Christ, it was guaranteed in the sure mercies of David that Christ died for him. That was evident in what he thought, evident in what he felt, evident and the things he penned, and the psalms that he wrote. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king, speaking of his writings and the words that he spoke. We can make nothing again. It is of God. We can do nothing again. It is of God. It is all in Christ. Everything good we do is in Christ of Christ, and through Christ. There's no other way. Everything. We're here. The last song we sing every Sunday, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's our responsibility. That's our duty. That's what we're here for. That's what we're created for. That's what God quickens us to do. To worship Him in spirit and truth and praise God. That's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of God's people, both here and in eternity. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the King. The King is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not speaking of Himself. He's not speaking of King David. He's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ who is and always has been King of kings and Lord of lords. He said, My tongue 
is the pen of a ready writer. He's inspired of the Holy Spirit of God to write these things of praise unto God, and Christ is God. Now we see, speaking now of Christ, thou art fairer than the children of men. They, we read in Isaiah, there is no beauty that we should behold Him. He was not in the person of royalty. We did not behold Him as King, as Lord. He laid aside the glory of the Godhead and would come into this world because of the election of grace to fulfill the work of God, the purpose of God, which was from before the foundation of the world. But this man in the flesh, it's an important thing to realize, this man, the living Word made flesh, this man, flesh and blood, suffered, bled and died. God cannot do that. Said it every week since we started the Psalms. This man, although he had no beauty on him as a king or as a ruler or a governor, he was a normal person, so to speak, in the realm of society. Came from a, some say, a poor family. I don't believe he was exactly poor, but I believe he was probably, he was average, set that way. He was a man. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet without sin. And that brings us to the point of His beauty, fairer than the children of men. This man, Jesus Christ, there was no royalty about Him to behold Him, but this man, Jesus Christ, His soul, His being, His walk in this world, everything He did, everything He said, every act He did here in this world. Each one had a purpose of God to save His people, either in heaven and immortal glory or temporally in the kingdom of God as they walk in this world. Everything He established, everything He ordained, everything He fulfilled. And He was fairer. This man was more beautiful in His being and I'm not saying he was an ugly man. That was not the fact. I made mention a week or so back about in the writings of Pilate and history how Christ was a head above just about everyone else. He was a man of strong stature and a physical body. He was not a weakling. He didn't beg people. He commanded. He spoke and the world was. He's the word God spoke. But my point is, as a man, his work, his soul, his being, everything was to fulfill the perfect will of God. How much fairer is he than men created? He is the Son of God in the flesh. There, thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Luke 4 the Lord walked into the synagogue. He picked up a Bible, or a, at that time a Bible, the book of the law. He read a verse of Scripture from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This man in the flesh, God gave him a fullness of the Spirit because he is the Son of God. 
Although He is the Son of Man, He had no sin. He is the only man in this creation of, that God had sent Him into to redeem His people who could withstand the fullness of the Spirit of God. Because He's God Himself and because He's without sin, we're all fallen sinners. We're given, every child of God is given a measure of faith, just a little bit. But this man in favor of God for the purpose of God was giving the fullness of the Spirit. Grace is poured into thy lips. Jesus read that verse of Scripture, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And He said, this day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now here's my point. As we read in many places, when He would quote Scripture and make it manifest. Is not this the son of David, uh, the son of Joseph? Is not this the son of Mary? Is not this a man, flesh and blood? How does he speak with great wisdom, with great power, with great authority? Because this man who suffered for you is God Himself in the flesh. This text is speaking of the King of Glory. Grace is poured into thy lips. Grace poured into the lips of the man, flesh and blood, Jesus Christ. God gave him speech. God gave him what to say. And he bore witness of God. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh. Well, let me back up. Thou art fairer than children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Grab a hold of that and think about it. God has blessed thee forever. We've talked the last few weeks about Christ suffering and being sent from the purpose of God to die in this world and how He had an eternal reign in heaven and earth, a reign over all things. God blessed the man, the Son of Mary, forever. What does that entail? That entails eternal life. He has it, the man. We have it through Him. He is blessed in His wedding. Remember Revelation? The bride of Christ. I believe Revelation 19, the marriage of the Lamb. She is His bride forever. She's married unto Him. That, that manifests an intimacy between God between Christ and His people, as it does between a man, a husband, and his wife, the woman. When God made Eve, He brought her to Adam. God brought us to Christ. No man cometh unto Me, except the Father which hath sent Me draw him. God brings us to Christ. He presents His bride to the bridegroom, the Son. God has blessed thee forever. His church, His kingdom, His people, everything He fulfilled in the purpose of God is forever. It's eternal. It will never go away. It will never die. It will never stop. Even though our bodies die because we have to pay that part of the sin death, yet our soul is with Christ. The body will be raised back up and inherit heaven and immortal glory with Christ. These things never end. The church here in the world that bears true witness to Christ by the power of God, by the Spirit of God, preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, it's here. Somewhere in this world it will be until God returns and this world is destroyed 
destroyed, when it's consumed, there will be a church here. And oh yes, that church carries on into heaven and immortal glory and eternity where we shall all be with Christ. David, is his heart is indicting these good matters and all things glorifying Christ Jesus. Gird thy sword upon thee, O most mighty. We find in Revelation 6, if you remember, He who sat upon the white horse going forward, He had a bow in His hand. I saw verse 2, And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, a crown of glory, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Remember that. That is Christ and His Gospel. When God has given you life, and God brings the Gospel to you, the King of kings and Lord of lords riding upon the white horse, David rode a mule. Christ rides the horse. Deep, devouring in the sense, sin, the arrows stinging the heart, causing man to fall before God. Revelation 19, 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is Christ as He comes into our life as we have life, as God gives us life in Christ, through Christ, by Christ, and for Christ, that He be glorified. And God then calls us by the gospel to the obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ as Christ judges and makes war. As Christ touches you, as Christ calls you by the gospel, as Christ brings you to Himself, causing you to worship God. And turn away from the things and the doctrines of the world. And you want proof that's talking about Him? He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and His name is called the Word of God. Let's go back. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh. We see the wrath of God upon many nations, many times upon His people in the Old Testament, destroying them with His sword. And we see David crying out to God as we do when we try to preach the Gospel, Lord, gird on Thy mighty sword. Lord, fight for us. Lord, deliver us. Lord, conquer the enemy for us. Lord, for Christ's sake, love us. We are His seed. We believe that because we love Him. And we know that if we love Him, He first loved us. If He loved us, He died for us. If we know Him, if we know You, we are His seed. Lord, gird on Thy mighty sword. Daily, temporally, save us from our enemies in the world. And Lord, gird Thy mighty sword upon Thy thigh. The preaching of the Gospel. Send laborers into the vineyard, Lord. For the fields are white unto harvest. Help us, Lord. Save daily that which should be saved. For we know, Lord, and Lord, Thou alone savest, Thou alone addeth, and it's all in Christ and for Christ. And may His name be glorified. Gird Thy sword upon Thy thigh, O most mighty Christ. Christ. Gird Thy sword upon Thy thigh, our King of kings, our Lord of lords, our Savior. 
the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. O most mighty, the living Word of God by which the worlds were framed. O most mighty, from nothing created, from death gives life. With thy glory and thy majesty. Now Christ laid aside His glory to come into this world. That's all He laid aside. He still had the power of God. He still had the wisdom of God. He's still the Son of God. He's still the living Word of God. But regarding His glory, He was glorified in His death, burial and resurrection. John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son that He may also glorify Thee. And He said, Return unto Me the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. Now, Psalm 21, speaking of Christ, He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it Him. Christ. What did we talk about in the 22nd Psalm? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God suffered Him to be crucified, nailed the cross, to lay His life down and be raised up again. But He brought Him forth from death. Christ. Even length of days forever and ever. He shall never die again. His life will never again be laid down. His body saw no corruption, true. His spirit was with God in heaven, true. Therefore He did not die, but the body, the body died, the body laid down. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it Him, even length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in thy salvation, and honor and majesty hast thou laid upon Him, for thou hast made Him most blessed forever. This is Christ. Thou hast made Him exceeding glad with thy countenance, for the king trusteth in the Lord. The king is the Lord Jesus Christ, who trusted on the Father. And though the through the mercy of the Most High he shall not be moved, thine hand shall find out all thine enemies. The right hand shall find out those that hate thee, especially those that hated him without a cause in Judea. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in thine anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in His wrath, and the fire shall devour over them. The Lord glorified, gave glory and honor unto the man, to the man, Jesus Christ. The living Word of God was made flesh, laid the glory of the Godhead aside, and He fulfilled the work the Father gave Him to do, and God glorified Him. God returned unto Him the living Word, the glory which He had with Him before the world was. And the man, Jesus Christ, was glorified. And in Thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth, the will of God, and meekness. He lowered Himself down to the death of the cross, and righteousness, fulfilling the election of grace, the purpose of God. We stand here not by our work. We don't know Him by our work or our choice or our money or any other earthly thing. We know Him by grace. We are saved by grace. 
will inherit heaven and eternal glory by grace. We're in the church of the living God in this world by grace, unmerited love and favor upon a people that were at rebellion with God by our very nature. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand, the power of God, shall teach thee terrible things. The word terrible is not something which is fearful in the sense of condemnation. That we may stand in awe of the terrible things that God in His grace has done for His children in reverential fear and all of Jesus Christ. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. Thine arrows... Now we could talk about the sword of God and the arrows of God afflicting those who are not His and destroying them as we saw in the 21st Psalm. But let's read the fullness of this little text briefly. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart, in the heart of the king's enemies. We read the first chapters of the books of Acts. We see those who were the religious elite of the day who rebelled against God, rejected Christ as the Son of God, Messiah and Savior. When they heard the preaching of the Gospel, they were cut to the heart. They were angry. They hated Him without a cause. Darkness, sin, evil in the heart, in the gall of bitterness. Then we read of those who heard the gospel, who were pricked in the heart, whose heart melted when God gave them life, whose heart melted in the sense when they heard the gospel bring life and immortality to light. God gave them revelation of Jesus Christ. God manifested Himself to them in the man and His sufferings, Jesus Christ. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. The people fall under thee. When God, when Christ upon the white horse going forth conquering and to conquer touches a child by a spirit revealing the gospel and they yield and they give all glory to Christ realizing they have no hope, no works of righteousness, the very best they can do even after being born of the Spirit of God dares not appear before the throne of God. They shall see Him high and lifted up. They see Him in glory, the sacrificed Savior with the glory returned to Him with the holes in His hands and in His feet and the hole in His side. And they fall on their face in humble adoration and thanksgiving and gratitude for the Lamb of God who saved them from their sin. Thine arrows comes from the bow, the gospel, are sharp 
in the heart of the king enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. They bow to Christ. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. I didn't want to miss this, and sometimes I'm prone to, so I got it a minute ago and stuck my finger in it. The 93rd Psalm, the Lord reigneth, that is Christ. That is Christ. The Lord reigneth. The power of God, the wisdom of God. He reigns over the wicked. He reigns over the earth. He reigns over life. He reigns over death. By His very glorious being upon the throne, and all things are beneath Him. But the Lord reigns over His people by the Spirit of God, leading us, touching us, comforting us, protecting us. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. This is the risen Savior. Everything David prophesies is of Christ. He's our only hope. Christ. He's our only salvation. Christ. The Lord Christ is clothed with strength. That is the man, Jesus Christ, clothed with the strength of God wherewith He hath girded Himself. The world also established that it cannot be moved until the time is destroyed. And He will destroy it. For our God is a consuming fire. And when He appears in the eastern sky on the day of judgment, the world will be destroyed. Thy throne is established of old. From everlasting. From everlasting. Christ has been the King from everlasting. When Christ founded, ordained, calls to come to be, created, whatever word you wish to use. But when He laid the foundation of His church in this world, He was manifested to us as our God, as our priest, and as our King. Now, Hebrews 1, same text, but under the Son, this is speaking of God who spoke to us, to our fathers in sundry times in diverse manners, by the prophets who speaks unto us today by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things. He's speaking of Christ, but under the Son, He saith, the Father. Thy throne, this is God saying to His Son. Thy throne, O God. Do you realize the Father is calling the Son God? God in the flesh. God has given Him a kingdom. For it is my Father's pleasure to give unto you the kingdom of God. And again, as my Father hath appointed unto me a kingdom I appoint unto you a kingdom it's his kingdom God gave it to him but unto the son he saith thy throne thy rule thy scepter O God Christ is forever and ever the scepter of righteousness the truth of God the judgment of God is the scepter of thy kingdom the righteous will of God as Christ ruling in that with His people, 
reigning and ruling over them in an intimate sort of way. This is talking about the queen. This is talking about the church of God married to Christ. And thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens is the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall wax old as a garment. Let me go back to the text. Thy throne, O God, the rule of Christ. Isn't that different from what the world paints this weak man? Although he was a carpenter's son, who was strong and mighty, physically as a man, and the Son of God, the Creator of heaven and earth, is walking around in weakness, begging you to come to Him. Begging you to help Him, but the Lord can't do it. He's got to have your help. You've got to accept Him. That is the biggest gibberish I've ever heard in my life. Forgive me. He works His way in heaven and in earth. All His people shall follow Him. His kingdom is a right scepter. Back to Hebrews. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, Father, Son, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Therefore God the Father hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. We'll go to Isaiah 61 so I don't butcher that. And we'll see that penned in Scripture. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to point unto them that mourn in Zion, to give ashes unto them, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise, the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. And every one of those is given to the elect of God. It can go to no one else. Those the Father gave Him, the same Spirit that was poured upon Him, in the fullness we have in measure. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and Cassia, Cassia, out of the ivory palaces where they have made thee glad. Exodus 30. I just read this last night. It's in the 20s. Verses, Exodus 20 and 30 and 20. Let me find it. Exodus 30. Well, that's in Deuteronomy. I'm sure not going to find it there, am I? Uh, I've stuck my foot in it, so let me find it. Exodus 30 and verse 22 and following. You find the ingredients of the holy anointing oil. This oil is the oil in which Aaron, the high priest, would be anointed with. He was a type 
of Christ. He's a figure of Christ. Speaking of Christ in the 45th Psalm, showing our true high priest. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of thy ivory places. This is right back to the holy anointing oil in Exodus 30. This is the same ingredient for the high priest. This is teaching us that Christ is our high priest. This is the spirit of oil. This is the spirit of anointing that God would put upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It was given by law from God to Moses to anoint Aaron. It was given of God and grace to anoint Christ for us and for the glory of God. Wherefore they have made thee glad. Wherefore they have made who glad? Christ. And all the suffering that we preach and teach from the truth in the Bible, Christ was glad. It was His passion. It was His joy to suffer and bleed and die and to save us from our sins and to love us with an everlasting love so far beyond our comprehension. King's daughters. Now we're changing from the queen who's married to God to the daughters of God. They're born of God. There's three ways to, that you come to God in marriage that represent intimacy as a man and his wife and Christ is in within you. There's being born of the Spirit of God which is being the seed of God. That's the daughters. It's the honorable women that he's talking about. That doesn't leave out the men. What does it say in Zechariah 9? Rejoice greatly, you daughters of Jerusalem, with the born, firstborn of God, with the children of God, born of the Spirit of God. This text is using women. There's a reason for it. There's another way, and that's by adoption. And by adoption, our nature is... We're taken away from the nature of Adam. We're adopted into the nature of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1. King's daughters were among... The honorable women. Do you realize you're the king's children? Upon thy right hand did stand the queen, the bride, and gold of Ophir. Here it's represented as gold. Beautiful, rare metal. No alloy allowed. It's pure. It's righteous. It represents the righteousness of God in Christ imputed to us. Revelation 19. We're in fine linen. And the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. It is imputed unto us in Christ. When God looks at His people, He sees them in the righteousness of Christ. Hearken, O daughter. Hearken, listen. Listen to what I have to say. Incline thine ear. What does he say in Matthew? He that hath an ear, let him hear. For unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To them it's not. Hearken, O daughter, and consider. And incline thine ear. And I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Hearken, O daughter, and consider. And incline thine ear. 
Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. This can relate to the Jews forgetting the law and what they were taught under the law by their fathers who were given the law by Moses for the purpose of God, but the fullness of time had come. The law was being fulfilled to a jot and a tittle. Luke 14, uh, I'll read a verse or two from there. Luke verse 25, And there went great multitudes with Him, and He turned and said unto them, Christ speaking to the multitude, If any man come to Me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. First of all, that does not say he cannot be my son. You're made son by the will of God. You had no choice in being born of your parents. You've got no choice being born of God. Teacher, nature teaches us that. This is talking about being the disciple and walking with Christ. God is not telling us to hate our mothers or our fathers or our brothers or our sisters and our children. Those are the things we're supposed to love. That should be second in priority. It was said a while ago about God, family, country. That's the priorities we ought to have. He's telling us that if we do not forsake all of the things in the sense of putting Christ first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, we cannot be His disciple. Uh, a, a wife is to reverence her husband, but not near what she does the Lord. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, but Christ is to be the greatest love. To turn, to put Christ first and foremost over family, children, possessions, monies, all other things, including ourselves. Christ is first. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people in thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. When you seek the kingdom of God and you seek the Lord, when God has brought you to that point and you are a disciple, you discipline yourself and you judge yourself that others do not have to judge you, God's pleased in that. The Lord desires that. God purposes and God does. But Christ made the fact the Lord desired a people, the Father, to worship Him in spirit and truth. What God desires, He does. But when we've come to that point, the Lord is glorified. For He is thy Lord, and worship thou Him. I don't know why I've got that mark. And the daughter of Tyree shall be there with a gift. Tyree was a coastal plain. We could talk about that a while if the Lord was in the matter, but I want to make a point with it and move on. Tyree was a place on the coast just like Mobile or New Orleans and what came with that was just like in any port city. The goods of the world came in there. We see that 
and the king of Tyre, when the Lord uses him to teach us of the cherub called Satan, Lucifer, and how he was made, he was corrupted. Well, Tyree's corrupted by the things of the world coming in. Make all that point of Tyree. This is talking about the daughter of Tyree. This is the king's daughter. Tyree was a place of great profit, great riches. Even this rich one with all they have of worldly goods. The daughter of Tyree shall be there before Christ with a gift. God's elect from the four corners of the earth, the north, the south, the east, the west. Every child of God, whether they're rich or poor, male or female, healthy or sickly, young or old, every child of God will be there with Christ bringing a gift. That gift is to turn away from the world and to worship God. That gift is a work of God within you. The king's daughter is all glorious within the beautiful clothing and apparel. Her clothing is of wrought gold. This is the daughter of the father. This text. The king's daughter. The Lord Christ. His seed. The king's daughter is all glorious within. God, the Spirit of God is within her. The glory of God is within her. The righteousness of God is within her. Because Christ is in her. Her clothing is of wrought gold, just like the queen. There she's, the church is represented as the queen. Here she's represented as the daughter. The queen's married to God. The daughter is born of God. That's the church. She shall, there's one of those positives, she shall be brought unto the king. That in itself is overwhelming. You want to talk about amazing grace? These people who by nature are rebellion to God, their nature is sin, and yet they shall be brought unto Christ the king, God presents them to Him. And He saved them. And in the last day, He presents them to His Father when the kingdom shall be taken up. Her clothing is wrought of gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. Again, reading in Exodus 25, you'll see the things of the altar, the robes and the, the, the veil. And it's made of cunning work. It's made of needlework. It's very tedious. It's very wise. It took a lot of doing in the mind of a man. It's very tedious for a man to do, to work and need that which is described. That's teaching us of the wisdom and brilliance of God in the needlework, the raiment, of the righteousness of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, God giving you life, 
faith, a fruit of the Spirit, bringing you into the knowledge of the Son of God, imputing His righteousness upon you. She should be brought in the king in the raiment of needlework, fine, cunning work. <coughs> the virgins, her companions, your brethren and sisters, that follow her, now that could be those that follow her as she walks in Christ in this world today, that could be her children and seed, and those she has manifested Christ to, is a pillar in the church in remembrance of her and how she walked and Christ using that to teach and lead them by the Spirit of God. We don't understand sometimes how we move people in the world. This is off a church subject, but I remember one time I was in a store and this young black fellow walked in. He's probably 18, 19 years old. He's sitting there. He looked at me. said, I remember you. He said, you used to... Police and the projects. He said, you've changed my life. I was so afraid of you, I didn't do anything wrong. But you see, we influence people is my point. These people follow these pillars of the church because they followed Christ. With gladness, And rejoicing shall they be brought. What a joy. What a joy. Why? Why do we come here and listen to what the Bible itself declares as the foolishness of preaching? For it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. First of all, notice what came first. Believe. If you believe, God temporally saves you by the foolishness of preaching. It's foolish to the Gentiles, the Greek. It was foolishness to the Jews. But to you, child of God, by the Spirit of God, and the knowledge of the finished work of Jesus Christ, who was a, who was de de delivered himself to the death of the cross, to the, to the wrath of Satan, man, the world, and all evil and laid His life down, and raised it up again, and promised you a home in glory, and will never leave you, nor forsake you. <coughs> that gives great joy. And with gladness. My uncle died a few months ago. Wayne Gandy loved him to death. When he died, I said, glory be to God. I can't say that to myself. I say that because I know for a fact that even though I'm a sinner and not worthy to stand before God, that my Uncle Wayne was a good man because God was in him. And I know where he's at. He's in heaven. That's what the Bible said. My Uncle Tony Kelly last week died. I know where he's at. It was manifested in his life that God had worked a good work in him, and in that I rejoice, and I'm glad. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. That's the house of God. Whether it's the church in the world or a church above, God, the work of Christ, Christ Himself brings us here. Instead of thy fathers, 
shall be thy children. Okay, very briefly. Instead of thy fathers, the Jews, the law of service, what you were taught by your fathers, what you were taught in the law of service, all the sacrifices, ordinances, and everything in there. Instead of thy fathers, shall be thy children. Who are thy children? Well, we could speak of natural children, but we're speaking right now of spiritual children. Those who are born of the Spirit of God. Instead of thy fathers, shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. We don't make anyone a prince, okay? We are priests and kings before God in Christ. But temporally speaking, when we teach a child, when we raise a child up in the way it should go, and all children of God are not disciples, there are far more children of God who never even hear the Gospel. And there are children of God who refuse it. There are children of God who have nothing to do with it and are not interested in it out cutting their grass on Sunday morning. It's not going to keep them out of heaven and immortal glory. This text is about the church. The princes, those that come into the church, our children, our seeds, spiritually speaking. Paul knew he couldn't make children, but he called them sons because they were disciples. That's what the Lord tells us to do, to make disciples, to teach them, to baptize the Father in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. To be disciples, to follow the Lord, take up thy cross daily, deny thyself. To come into the church. And he finishes with the preaching of the gospel. I will make thy name to be remembered in all congregation. What does the church preach? What do we talk about every single week? The same Christ. Different text, different books, different chapters from beginning to end. Christ, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations as long as the world exists. Therefore shall the people praise thee, Christ, forever and ever. And that will not stop with. The end of created time. First Corinthians thirteen, Paul gives a list of things. One of them is faith. He tells us that one day when we arrive in heaven and mortal glory, there will be no more faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. When we get to heaven, we will see Christ. We will not need faith anymore. But love will never die. The church is the house of love for it's the church of God and it will never die. He's loved us. He's saved us. Our Lord, our God, our King. He's all we have. He's all we want. He's all we need and much, much more so. As Brother Steve is quite fond of saying and I want to amen it every time I hear it. Give the glory to God, to Christ. That's what this whole chapter has been about.
the church glorifying our Savior.